0: This week's episode's a real horror show for Ukos, which is ears, apparently. Be sure to stay tuned until the end of the episode for a new track from our friends, Version 2. adventures of a young man who couldn't resist pretty girls or a bit of the old ultra violence went to jail was reconditioned and came out a different young man or was he i'm still confused about
1: that tagline
0: this is slashers (laughs) a podcast about movies and more for those who love horror? My name is Jake, and with me as always is my esteemed colleague, co-host, and cohort, Brian. Ryan, say hello to the mutant goons from beyond. Hello. So, getting to get this out of the way, like clockwork, we have some time matters to address with you, our fans. I have expressed my sincere distaste with this segment of our show, The Slay by Play, for quite some time. I think it's redundant to tell you a point-by-point recollection of what the movie was it's tedious it's humdrum and frankly it's beneath me let's face it i'm a big time podcaster now wow. no <laughs> we want to make it much easier more palatable content so what we're going to be doing is saying fuck off with that segment of the show we're going to be a little bit more thorough in our recapitation and that segment of the show is going to be rededicated to us talking about the memorable high points what they mean what trivia we could apply to it and so this is a pilot program for that. We're just basically showing you what it is. We're going to make the show a little bit more brief and more substantive uh, rather than us just regurgitating a movie that you've already
1: seen. Right. Cool. Brian, we're doing a Clockwork Orange. This movie's crazy. This movie's amazing. It's it, crazy and it's amazing. And it literally stuck in my mind like immediately when you said a Clockwork Orange, as soon as I saw the poster for it it's so iconic and every like immediately so that just all of the things come back into my mind L- like strangely it was milk yeah like first and foremost and i want to say i didn't think it was milk at first when i had first seen the come. film I it was definitely something um i don't think i thought it was milk i was like okay it's definitely some kind of Maybe coconut milk. I guess it's obviously like a yeah. I mean that makes sense that it's still technically milk. You're an idiot, but yeah, it's not like it's just regular old milk, right? It ain't your grandpappy's milk. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Well, your grandpappy. I don't want to milk your grandpappy,
0: (laughs) not through his prostate or any other
1: means. (laughs) Yikes!
0: Yeah, so we had talked about the icon iconography of this film. Like, my wife, who has never seen the film and has no interest in seeing the film, I was like, man, I think I have this on DVD when we talked about recording. She was oh, yeah, I think you do. It's that movie where the thing looks like this, right? And I was like, oh, so it's so iconic that somebody who has literally no frame of reference (laughs) was like, oh, yeah, I know where that is in my house. And I've never acknowledged it. Yeah. Yeah, The last time I saw this movie was basically before she and I were even together. So it's been a while for me, too. You said 20 years? It's
1: been about 20 years.
0: It's crazy to think that you've seen movies from 20 years ago that weren't just like Space Jam. Yeah. You know, like kid movies.
1: Yeah. When I say that out loud, I find myself really thinking about how old I am. Yeah. It's all depressing. been completely wasted, right? <laughs> Sitting there editing our episodes and be like,
0: God, I should be living life to the <laughs> fullest while my back still works.
1: Oh, it's cool. I enjoy editing for the time being. Yeah, right. Give <laughs> <laughs> re- it a minute. I remember the first time watching this and thinking to myself, okay, so where are the oranges? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's some Was of the- I not? the? O- am I the only one? I had
0: seen enough images to know that it wasn't... It, I think there it was had a to be
1: something to do with oranges. Nothing. I'm well, like, okay, I am so literal. You I, need to have a fucking... Yeah.
0: I'll be the guy who goes, okay, well, I read the book and so here's the difference. Definitely do that because I <laughs> did not. It's amazing. Truly, I think this is one of the best books that we've ever covered on this show.
1: So it's show. better than American Psycho? 100%. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> no, without question. I but I being think... a little facetious No, there. I
0: think that American Psycho is almost predicted in the way that Burgess wrote A Clockwork Orange. Okay. In that the way that sex and violence are portrayed in that is basically the way that this is.
1: I thought it was so strange how right off the bat, he shows his disdain for homeless people, which is exactly how American Psycho is. Weird thing, in the book, it's not a homeless man. It's a
0: scholar who's actually a librarian. And what Alex and his drugs do is destroy some books that are irreplaceable.
1: Oh, okay. You know what? I think I read somewhere in the trivia that they had that in the actual film, but they cut it because the actor of the librarian passed away. Yeah. Four hours was the original cut of this film. And yikes. Th- I would be interested to
0: see it though. For sure. I mean, at least I once. I think it got destroyed, right? Yep. Yeah. Kubrick had his assistant destroy everything they didn't use. <sighs> there is no deleted scene. What a dick. But he's a Mastercraft, right? Imagine if you like if somebody took like all the riffs that you had ever written on guitar. And we're like, oh, I'm going to make a new song out of it. You'd be like, hey, fuck you. Write your own song. I feel like it's almost like that kind of okay, idea. I can see that. Don't you Frankenstein my
1: scraps, you <laughs> peon?
0: I'm but Stanley still, Kubrick and I I'm mean,
1: weird. Four hours long included with, uh, what, 30-minute sex scene? Yeah. <laughs> That's a little awkward. They, they sped this one up. That was in real time. Yeah.
0: yeah. And also in the book, it's way worse. We'll talk about it. <laughs> I would like to relay to you, my friend, <laughs> the, uh, it, this is weird. So when it comes to A Clockwork Orange and its publication, right, it was originally published in 1962. It was written in 61. Now, there was a time where Anthony Burgess was going to be writing an article for Rolling Stone. Instead, he sends a manuscript of Clockwork Orange to none other than Hunter S. Thompson, who replies, I think even though we're trying to be briefer on this show, I'm going to read this whole fucking thing. No, I think
1: you need to, to include everything that's involved. But here's the thing. You have to read it as Johnny Depp in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Do you recall? Dear Mr. Burgess, our winner as Forward our useless letter. For- no, I'm not going
0: to do it. No, from no. Rome to the National <laughs> Affairs Desk for my examination and or reply. Unfortunately, we have no international gibberish desk, or it would have ended up.
1: There sick burn.
0: What kind of lame half-mad bullshit are you trying to sneak over on us When Rolling Stones asks for a think piece, God damn it, we want a fucking think piece That's And don't so try bad. to weasel out of any of your limey bullshit with a 50,000 word novella about the condition of humane,
1: etc. I like how he said 50,000 word and then said novella yeah. because when are novellas 50,000 words?
0: Do you take us for a gang of brainless lizards? Rich hoodlums, dilettant thugs, you lazy cocksucker. I want that thing paste on my desk by Labor Day, and I want it ready for press. The time has come and gone when cheap jack scum like you can get away with this kind of scams you got rich from in the past. Get your worthless ass out of the piazza and back to the typewriter. Your type is a dime a dozen around here, Burgess, and I'm fucked if I'm gonna stand for it any longer. Sincerely, Hunter S. Thompson.
1: Now he ends it with sincerely, right? Sincerely, put a nice little bow on this, <laughs> man. Imagine working for that guy. But what's weird Ugh. is like I've read
0: everything that Hunter S. Thompson has written, re- all of his novels. I haven't read all those articles. I'll admit that. And I'm like, I don't feel like these are dissociative ideas, but it, like it shows you the level of mastery that Burgess has, where it comes across as haphazard as Hunter S. Thompson's murmurings and writings, but it's it's all constructed in this right. like, beautiful way. Rather than do some trivia, do you want to talk about NADSAT, the the slang terminology language? Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. So basically, this fool creates a, an entire verbiage for his book. And what he does, he's very mindful of the fact that by the time he would write this to be published, all of that slang that he would have used if he was trying to be hip and contemporaneous would already be outdated. Wow. So he's like, I, I need to pull a J.R. Tolkien. I'm just going to make my I own butt- say, fucking language.
1: That's what I was just thinking is he almost pulled like a talk- Tolkien where he's just like, oh, you know what? This elvish shit sounds pretty cool. Let's fucking create it, right? Yeah,
0: absolutely crazy. If you look, there are dozens of entries and it was really interesting if you like listen to an audio or I actually had the pleasure of listening to Burgess do several chapters of the book, which is awesome. It sounds crazy so seamless it just sounds like that's the way people talk yeah like you don't even really think about it when between you talking about your your yajik and your roz and your malchik like so many of these things are really interesting so none of it is cockney It's a little bit of both. So it's like a hybridization. Like we had talked about on the new Slashers on Slashed episode. When it comes to horror show, it's a word Zoro show. And so it's basically putting like a Cockney accent on a Russian word, which is how you get there, which is pretty weird. Okay. One thing that I think is super cute. I just have to say it. It's super cute. The Korova milk bar. Do you know what Korova is in Russian? No. It's cow. So it's the cow milk bar. Isn't that the funniest thing you've ever heard?
1: But then they get milk from girls' tits. And not cow tits. So That's actually not in the book. Oh really? The, the titty dispenser now. <laughs> which is fine. I don't
0: mind it. I this is weirdly like Kubrick's most accurate adaptation. No. We're gonna get into a significant variance from the original publication of the book. Just
1: you wait, Did buttfucker. you? Did you did you hear how much of a nuisance it was to keep milk in the titties? No, they had the, to change out the milk constantly because of apparently the heat coming off tumble. the lamps oh, would yeah, curdle yeah. the milk. Oh, I could imagine. Disgusting! Imagine hitting that button and just having sludge come out. Fucking cottage cheese. Uh, <laughs> That's the way all dairy looks to me because I'm a pretty vegan boy. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hate myself. I feel like we had to have at least one time where you reminded everybody. All right,
0: and I also I'm gonna <laughs> you. Or is it like, a,
1: Do you want to have a drink of beer, Jake? Oh, oh wait. it's a straight edge. Oh, there you go. A there straight go. edge vegan who does CrossFit <laughs>
0: uh, walks into a bar. Which one does he talk about first? It's <laughs> not a joke. The joke is the fact that they're fucking street edge vegan and doing CrossFit, you assholes. I've heard them all before. One thing that was really cool in 2017, it was actually reported that, so Burgess had referred to creating his own glossary of terms while he was writing, and it was actually found in a, a manuscript of it. So there's actually a dictionary handwritten by the master himself. Oh, that's cool. Super rad, right? So some of the references to this work, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I have my in my notes that The Simpsons has referred to Clockwork Orange overtly 12 times in their show. Wow. Doing like entire story arcs based on it. One that I think you're going to love. Did you know they referenced it on King of the Hill? I did not. God dang it. Season three, episode 22. When the warden is erasing Dale's name from a list of executioners, you have Alex DeLarge on the list. I like it. Pretty cool, right? Yeah, it's pretty neat. And If you've ever decided to treat yourself to a, I don't know, a, a Googling. If you ever want to Google and you have a Twitter page yourself.
1: what? Is
0: Google Flick the gooch And do some Googling And just <laughs> Hit you right in that sweet spot I would recommend That you do a Google search of Kevin Colden Clockwork Orange He had actually Drawn a construction of graphic novel adaptation of the book which would be slightly different and you can see the stylized nature of it and kind of the difference in the way that the book is written to the way that Kubrick adapted it it's tremendous I really enjoyed what I was able to see online and if there's ever a way to support that being turned out fully formed I would support it oh yeah that's badass in 1973 Mad Magazine did a crock work lemon <laughs> you kind of love that right yeah and then in 1965, Andy Warhol did a, a thing called Vinyl, which he adapted the novel in his
1: own way. I've tried to find that. Let me
0: find Andy Warhol on YouTube.
1: Do you think Warhol was involved in the the movie at all? It kind of seems like there would be some kind of a Warhol painting somewhere in the background. Yeah. But.
0: Oh, it, okay. So the part that I watched of it was the whole thing. It's only like two minutes long. I thought that it was longer. Anyway, yeah, it's at the very least the style of it. So yeah. it, it, his version is an hour and 10 minutes. It's oh, nothing okay. amazing, but you know you can definitely see the artistry. It's super duper mega low budget. So whatever. But yeah, I think that what's interesting is the incredible attention to detail you see in everything. Like imagine just his bathroom. I was thinking about it. When you look at the wallpaper, there's this, this shiny bits. There's the orange bit. There's the yellow chartreuse, I guess, color bits. Like, did you just buy that? Did you pick it right. out of a catalog? Right. Is that three different types of wallpaper you put in the same spot? Like yeah. all those little things. And
1: what's, what's also crazy is now that I think about it, when you go back and you look at how he is outside of his immediate home, it's so fucking chaotic and all, all over the place. You can imagine his room being completely like a mess. Yeah. But it's the exact opposite. Everything's in place. Everything's in order. All of his records are neatly in a row. He has everything. All of the shelves are pushed in. The drawers, everything. You know what I mean? So it's it's weird, right? Uh, we can talk about the true tragedy of this film is the fact his pet
0: snake dies while he's in prison, right? Is that fucked? It is. That's so sad. And so there's multiple legends as to how that snake appears, not in the book. Uh, The idea being that apparently Kubrick heard that Malcolm McDowell was afraid of snakes and was like, no, 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 we're going to put a snake in here.
1: Isn't that great? Because you can imagine working for somebody like Kubrick, who is so detail oriented with everything. And then he's like, you guys want to see something funny? Look at this. And you're like, what? You just had me redo the same thing 30 times. Yep. Bro, and crazy now you're right? going to throw a snake in there, but I guess it just shows how much like control he really wants to have. And he's like, well, I don't care if this snake is involved because I'm the one that's doing it. Yeah. But if somebody else were to say, hey, you know, it'd be great. Let's throw a snake in here," he would be like, nah, fuck that. We're <laughs> not doing that at all.
0: So one other thing was McDowell talked about that he was afraid of vampires, and so that's why when he's having that dream sequence, he's got fangs. Yep. Oh, it's a reference to it. There's apparently there was deleted footage of him like having his neck sucked on in a coffin, which was like too far or whatever. But I listened to a really interesting interview where McDowell like defended Kubrick and was like, "People always say he's so difficult to work with, but he was really collaborative and responsive." And then nine years later, when he does The Shining, you have like Shelley Duvall. You're like. "Ah!"
2: Stop firing, guns! I just want some (laughs) soup.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, you also have to look at the different state of mind between Shelley Duvall and... Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. Right? I mean, you can imagine there being... Somebody is maybe a little bit more confident in themselves, and I'm not trying to say, like, "Well, he's a Ma- masculine man, and he's full and confident in himself, and Shelly Duvall being the quite the opposite. But just kind of looking at the two, if you were to put them side by side, you can yeah. almost sense there's something that's a difference between the two.
0: And I think there's a certain degree of, like, misogyny that just kind of implicit Oh, absolutely. So, I mean,
1: absolutely. Right? I mean, you can't imagine him going up to sh- Duvall and playing like hijinks. Yeah. Right? Because it's like, well, I'm going to be the man and I'm going to tell you what to do and this and that hardy, hardy, hard. Well, it's and also what he's
0: trying to evoke from them. He wants to have that kind of wry, tongue-in-cheek, jokey joke with Mr. McDowell versus with Duvall. He wants her to be a, a fawning, wilting lily, right? Right.
1: That, that makes sense.
0: It does. It's almost like he's a fucking genius. <laughs> <laughs> I know everybody's heard of the band The Addicts. Um, I actually had the pleasure of seeing them once and I How got... How were they? Oh, dude, it was fucking amazing. I, I've never really listened to them. I'm more of a hardcore and metal guy. I was never really into punk music per se. And so... That's
1: surprising. I feel like you would have been a punk guy.
0: Nope. Hate punk music most of it. find it very contrived and just like negligible. I can find it like the the prattling of tantruming children.
1: I always imagine it's almost just like you're like, fight the power kind of thing. But, but... that's what
0: I like about hardcore music hard. like, take for instance, Gorilla Biscuit start today. It's talking about like, you know, it being empowered being diligent doing things being purposeful having like a motivation yeah, okay. versus punk words like oh don't like my dad fuck him <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> unless I once-
1: you get like the little more popular punky stuff so you get like anti-flag uh, okay I'll admit I do love anti-flag
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go like if you're feeling alone listen to like old anti-flag and the gang vocals you'd be like i'm not alone i have all these yeah, friends in my yeah exactly with me, right? exactly but the attics uh, i was being a designated driver and it was one of those things like Where hey was it at uh, the showcase theater oh, okay and so it's super
1: small i actually got the beautiful monkey. thing about living close to la is so many different venues oh yeah yeah i also actually in
0: my garage behind you in one of those containers i have a, one of the cards that monkey had signed and i don't keep like souvenirs I just liked him as a person because oh, he was cool. so nice and like I, there was no pretense I was like I'd never fucking listen to this band so I was not fawning it was just a memory of a nice time with some dude who was great but they have obviously their whole look is based on right. this but they have the song uh, Smart Alex which is awesome have you ever heard the song Troubadour no. Troubadour is my favorite Addict song, and I've listened to it six times since we had uh, started researching <laughs> this episode. <laughs> I just love it. Other references you have Train Spotting in 1996. Danny Boyle refers to the bar, Karova Milk Bar. Tenacious D in the Pick of Destiny. You have Jack Black getting his ass kicked by the Droogs. <laughs> David Bowie references the Droogs in the song Suffragette City. He says, Say Droogie don't crash here. And it's also in the lyrics for the song Girl Loves Me from Black Star. And New Order has a song Ultraviolence, which is a reference to a it. bit of the old ultraviolence. Yeah. You have 1987, you had the Welcome to the Jungle music video where Axel Rose is strapped to a chair just like Alex. The One that I had was kind of completely dumbfounded by. Those of you who know, we started doing Slammers, which is where we use N64 WWF No Mercy to make horror icons and put it into everything. Well, I downloaded Conker's Bad Fur Day because I'd never played it. No way. And so I, I booted it up, S to G, homie. S to G. I started up and it's bwomp, And it's the, and I was like, what the fuck? How, how did they get away with that? It was just because it, it's parody oh dude but it's not that's the music awesome. it's an you know it's a different midi keyboard right it's pre shazam right. or whatever and he like does a voiceover and he's glaring at the screen and he drinks out of a white cup so it looks like milk and i was like i think i need to play this entire <laughs> game right now that's so cool loved it shall we get into the statistics for this week yeah man let's do it budget 2.2 2 million dollars the gross just in north america 26 million dollars yeah you can say it was a smash hit yeah just a little bit return on investment over 10 times over yes but it's also kubrick yeah so the legend so it started in december 19th of 1971 and that's competition four days later dirty harry That's pretty rough, man. A few days after that, Straw Dogs, which is another legendary film. In the United Kingdom, it actually was released later on January 13th. One thing I wanted to touch on, in March of 72, you had the Tales from the Crypt movie. So these are my British people just putting out content that I still love today that holds up so well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Runtime on this film. Runtime, I got to tell you, it's a little rough. Really? Yeah. I mean, I feel like the first half is great. The second half, not saying it's bad, but I do feel like it draws on a little bit. I could definitely agree with that. Yeah. Like, for instance, the whole uh, with him being in the penitentiary. Yeah. Penitentiary penitentiary there you go they're that's trying
0: the to be very book accurate there and that's I think, yeah. to its detriment I think that you could cut a lot of it like you when said. it
1: shows like them doing the sermons or them like singing in the classroom with the guy doing kissy faces at him yeah just cut the whole fucking thing you know what I mean but it's a lot of voiceover so I get it there's a lot of context to it but at the same time yeah, maybe cut uh, 15 minutes out of the film and I feel like I'd be okay with it.
0: Yeah, actually, it's funny that you mentioned that. So the guys walking in a circle is actually a recreation of Van Gogh's uh, prisoners exercising. Okay. So that's one of the things you'll see, like some of the things in it aren't entirely book accurate, like the smoochy guy isn't necessarily, and that isn't, but it's also referential to other art and it's added to it. So I think I liked it more this time because I was analyzing it,
1: but I definitely agree it's... You know what? This is kind of strange. I just thought about this. This movie kind of reminds me of the wall. Donald Trump's wall. Oh, you're so dumb. Which one? I don't. Pink Floyd. The oh, wall. Oh, duh. I went to that movie. Was it the Great Wall? <laughs> that like John
0: Cusack in it? <laughs> Donald Trump's wall.
1: God, man.
0: <laughs> Sorry about it. I'm gonna put in John Cusack Wall m- movie. Uh, yeah, Dragon Blade. No, that's not it.
1: <laughs> that sounds awful there's some movie- john cusack's in a movie called dragon blade
0: matt damon is that it all those white fuckers look alike yeah the great wall okay well whatever
1: i was wrong Oh, dude that looks so bad yeah i remember seeing that in uh previews like ugh. well Pink the
0: wall came out 11 years after this so basically it's fucking theft <laughs> fair enough No, but The Wall is amazing. I usually don't have patience, but that was one thing I watched, and I was like, all right, no hallucinogens in my system, and I still (laughs) enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, every once in a while, I'll get on the kick where I'll need to listen to the entire album, The Wall, because it's essentially just like, an it's the movie played from the first song all the way to the end of the the album. Yeah. You you ever uh, do that with uh, Wizard of Oz? I haven't with The Dark Side of the Moon. I haven't, but... Who has the fucking time really Yeah it doesn't really Pique my interest Oh well, there's a shadow Of a man hanging himself On it's, the I flowers mean, it's a great It's a great album uh, Wizard of Oz is a great movie I don't need to see them Combined <laughs> Here's a question
0: Could we constitute The Wizard of Oz As a horror film or Oh, you a totally slasher could. With, You totally could You have our friend The Tin Woodsman With his axe you could And you have a, good a
1: house Falling on a fucking witch Yeah dude Plus you have The little
0: people Oh, <laughs> the true terror <laughs> giving a little bit of the
1: old in out in out to those flying monkeys my brothers I'm just kidding Ew. we like all kinds of fans yeah even mm-hmm. if they only big half count. and small yeah.
0: so obviously the film was directed by Stanley Kubrick and this was something that I found really interesting because there's a lot of literature on it but very vague and different overlap and so some people say one thing and some people say another apparently there were two copycat crimes in the United Kingdom In 1973, a group of men had attacked someone with the singing in the rain. And there was another one of a 16-year-old boy who beat a younger child while wearing the same kind of droog outfit. And so some people had said that Kubrick of his own volition pulled the film from distribution in England. Other people So was
1: that true or was that not true? Because I've had conflicting reports where they're like, okay, he felt so deeply troubled between the things that have happened that he's like, no, I need to contact Warner Brothers and completely have it taken down.
0: That's the other far part where people are saying that the police went to him. So that's one of the reasons why, when you look up the gross on this film, you only see North America because they don't count England because of that issue.
1: But and it, I actually, I think didn't they stop distribution of the film until like two thousand or some shit? Like, like it was nineteen
0: ninety nine when the first DVD God, release man, was. That there. is awful. That's actually why, if you look online, you you can find a tagline for the DVD release because it was so people were smuggling. Pirated copies of this film into the country from like Holland.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I read somewhere that like video stores literally were putting posters up that say, "No, we don't have a Clockwork Orange."
0: Hisof then yeah. (laughs) There was actually another guy who was called the Crossbow Cannibal, Stephen Griffiths, who was obsessed with Alex, which is really dark. That guy, uh, you know, for those of you who are into true crime, you could probably
1: put two and two together. Crossbow Cannibal, he probably did things with a crossbow and killed people and then ate them no he was actually part crossbow and he ate other (laughs) (laughs) crossbow. gotcha i'm like i am so literal with everything i'm gonna completely believe everything jake just said yeah as well
0: you should i've never misrepresented anything ever (laughs) i'd stick my bar license on it shall we go it was written by stanley kubrick based on the work of anthony burgess here's a fun fact anthony burgess wrote a screenplay for this as well And nobody wanted it. Oh, poor Burgess. Really kind of a dark thing that he did. In his adaptation, he changed the writer's last name to be Burgess and he made it himself. So the bastardization of the guy's work and everything was his own.
1: Yeah, that's really weird because I've read some reports where people are trying to say that maybe this is Kubrick representing himself. Have you seen that also? I have as well. Yeah. And he's like, whoa, come on, guys. No, this is based off of somebody else's work that I'm portraying in my own mind. Right? So it's very different than like the original source material. 100%. And this is coming from the guy saying, no, yeah, this is about me. And this is all the fucked up shit that I would do. Yeah. Hypothetically, right? And you're like, uh, is it though?
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> you also get into guys like Brad Easton Ellis who did American Psycho talking about the first person perspective and all those things. So, it, yeah, it's, it's very interesting to see the way people at least issue their narration in the book. The term Clockwork Orange is used for the writer's book. So when he's typing at the typewriter, there is no singing in the rain song. I think that's the uh, most obvious trivia when it comes to this movie is that was something that...
1: That was something that McDowell just came up with because it was the only thing in his mind at the time, right? He said it's
0: the only song he could think of. Yeah. And basically the song came out of his dance. Kubrick asked him if he had any kind of dance he could do. So he started doing this kind of shuffling. So he starts Mm -hmm. humming and then starts singing. And then that's how you get that. Well, in the book there is no singing in the rain dance in the book he it basically the replace that scene with him destroying a guy's manuscript of his book a clockwork orange and oh, wow. he remembers it and even later on when he's like in the guy's house he looks at a copy of the book to find out the author's name so that tells you like it's referred to multiple times interesting the expression comes from that something is quote as queer as a clockwork orange Which he had heard in the Second World War. There are different interpretations of what it's supposed to mean. Some people take it to be a strict comparison of, like, you know, something natural and something unnatural. Some people want to talk about, you know, just the things being askew or things being like very calculated. The way he had taken it at the time was to be something that was just so weird to subvert nature that it's just bizarre. And basically, that's kind of what you get. Like when you have Alex, you have this outside character, which is just a boy, but you get into the construct of his mind and it's just chaos. Right. It's, it's unnatural. He is not a natural thing.
1: OK. Yeah. That, that makes sense. It's fucking bananas. I mean, no, it's oranges. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> and again, at the same time, the first time watching this, I'm like, but there's no orange juice. What where it's are the milked. where are the oranges? I don't get it. <laughs> Which way did he go, George? Which way? Yeah, that's Brian. Yeah. Are you referencing me as Lenny? Thanks, bud. Well, you're the one it. who said it.
0: <laughs> I could have called you Dim, but I didn't want to get hit with a chain in the
1: face. <laughs> it's actually Dimitri. Thank you very much. Dim. Mm. E-tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he originally sold
0: the rights to do this movie to Mick Jagger for five hundred bucks, and the Rolling Stones were originally going to do an adaptation and play the drugs. Then there was an indication that the Beatles wanted to do it, and that is how you have the Beatles speaking with Stanley Kubrick about him directing a Lord of the Rings adaptation where they're the hobbits, which you might <laughs> remember from our Shining
1: episode. Yep, absolutely crazy! Yeah, I could just imagine the Rolling Stones PR guys being like. No, no, nope, not. you're not gonna do that. They just have one look at the script and they're just like, wait, 10 minutes in, you're raping. No, no, that's a hard pass on that, guys. <laughs> Basically, the manager's like, give me shelter from that
0: idea rape and murder. Yeah. That's actually a lyrics from that song. It's my favorite rolling Stones. song. song. <laughs> if you ask me any other one, I'd be like, ooh, under my thumb, and that's about it.
1: Yeah. The the PR guys are like, usually you do this behind the scenes with the groupies. Yeah. We're not doing it in the actual films. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think he had, he had something a little bit more potent than some tainted milk when it comes to how they were keeping it <laughs> yeah, active. Yeah,
1: no, no kidding. I don't know what Keith Richards is on, but my God, the guy's going to live forever.
0: I think he just transfuses his blood no, with unicorn. No,
1: that's not true. It does.
0: He's unicorn blood. <laughs> they get the unicorns from Russia. One thing that Burgess said that I thought was very interesting in referring to Kubrick, he was very complimentary of the fact that Kubrick didn't give a, quote, facet explanation of the title. He, you know, you'll notice that you don't even see the manuscript, right? And so there's no reference to it all. He just keeps it kind of bizarre, and I think that's actually very poetic. I think that it's one of the more interesting elements because, like you said, it, it kind of adds to the riddle of you trying to figure everything out. Yeah, Every scene don't of,
1: need to just explain everything. You just have to figure it out
0: exactly. Yeah, and one of the things a lot of people pointed out was that. Burgess was making a very specific social commentary at the time as far as like teenagers and whatnot which isn't necessarily true one of the things when he had created NADSAT he was talking about in Russia having the same kind of problems with teens and everything and obviously in England at the time you had that kind of um, distress and civil unrest well he was also raised as a Catholic and he believed in original sin and he says quote I think that man is inherently bad or inherently antisocial so, his whole th- thesis of humans and their condition is that basically we're kind of bad.
1: And at the very least, we're self serving. And these are the problems that we have. And so. So, is that kind of in a way, like almost like people are inherently leaning more to the left or more to the right based off of this isn't the political thing? This is just like, you know, you're either more good or more bad. Like, here's a number scale, right? You're either. 50 here or zero here zero being bad 50 being good If you're like 35 you're like okay well yeah you're slightly on the you know you're not 25 where you're in the middle yeah that's almost where he was at essentially
0: basically he said you know because the original sin being like the fact that you're born of a sexual nature and everything like you are inherently sinful based on eve's sin right oh and so one of the things he referenced was saint augustus who referred to Adam as, quote, Oh, happy fault since it produced so great a redeemer. In saying that the fucked up things of like basically creating sin was fine because it created Jesus. And it was really interesting to hear that from him, the horse's mouth, and then go and read the book. Like we've we talked about a million times on the show. I have like a, just a serious uncomfort when it comes to any kind of sexual deviancy or anything right, like that. It right. just it doesn't work for me. And I'm not saying I enjoy it in this film, but it feels so purposeful because you need these people to be abhorrent. And that shows in the narrative for Alex. So just bear that in mind as he's talking about it because one of the things he also cited in original sin was being a symbol for a man deciding his own destiny and in doing so creating art and literature as a byproduct huh because there because of strife you have these things to comment on or recreate or do whatever if it was just the garden of Eden, nobody would have fucking do those things but because of that you have the situation so think of if not for Alex and the Droogs being fucking terrible, there is no narrative to have.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. That's crazy.
0: He's a super brilliant dude.
1: So here's the other argument that that I come up with when it comes to the people that think about the original sin thing. Maybe this is me just not completely understanding it. So he goes off of saying people have the original sin because they have lust. They have sin. They're man. This is what you do. Did he have kids? Was he, did he end up having sex with a woman to provide children? Is that considered a sin? So is he not a sinner himself? Mm. How does that work? Does it are you considered not lustful if you're married or something? Is that like something where it just basically just like you know, well, I'm gonna wipe the slate clean because we're technically you know we have our name on marriage license.
0: That's one of the if you, it depends how Old Testament you want to get because there are people who talk about like marriage or like you know lust being outside of marriage. He did have a child uh, Andrew Burgess Wilson um, I don't know how to answer that question. Yeah, so by this point, in his life, he even addressed that, you know, he had developed these views. But when you're being raised, it's very much black and white. It's, it's okay. The, you're a yeah. bad person. Yes. And Absolutely. being raised in a church where the perception is you as a child, you are bad. And think of how formative that is. And think of the perspective of Alex. Yep. Basically, like, but for the terrible things he does, like he's a normal guy. Right. And that's kind of going to Burgess's upbringing. Okay. Two. All yes, right. Sir. So we have music by Wendy Carlos who also did music for The Shining and Tron. I'm going to try and play an audio clip right now from two different films. One you might have heard of called The Clockwork Orange and another you might have heard of called The Shining <laughs> which is going to show the die's eerie musical sequence and if it sounds terrible through my laptop speakers then I have to actually rip MP3s. So here's something...
1: called The Clockwork Shining.
0: Yeah, there we go. Now this part is from A Clockwork Orange. Now, this part is from The Shining.
1: It's just a different tone. Crazy, right? Same musician, right? Or the same... Yeah, Wendy Carlos. Okay.
0: Who, absolutely brilliant. I mean, you have to look at the making of the music on this. Because this is in a time where synthesizers are literally... A synthesizer machine at this point looked like an operator's chords where they're like, operator, connect you. Remember, <laughs> remember when you'd go to Old Spaghetti Factory and they'd have all those wires yep, you'd connect? Yep. That's what synthesizers looked like at this time. So you have this lady who is surrounded on all sides by these giant towering things with a bunch of wires sticking out just to make sounds. And so one of the things she did, and I think we can agree quite effectively, was recreate classical music with these synthesizers to make just a very... It's a wholly unique sound, which I think it just, to me, it's timeless. What do you think?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's the first thing that I think of when it comes to The Shining. And now that I've watched The Clockwork Orange again, it's the same thing. Uh, You immediately get drawn into the movie based off of the beginning of the song.
0: So shall we just talk about the actors I don't think that we necessarily have to do nicknames anymore I just kind of want to give them their
1: spotlight Yeah absolutely Malcolm McDowell man right off the bat And I got to tell you I was telling Michelle last night as we were watching the end of the film when she came home Hey you know who this actor is and she's like I've never seen that guy in my life I'm like yeah, yeah please <laughs> You definitely have Yeah it's kind of crazy how much stuff this guy has He's like
0: British Tony Todd
1: Yeah <laughs> That's a good yeah I like it
0: Thanks I thought it was really interesting that Heath Ledger said that he got a lot of his inspiration for his rendition of the Joker from Alex. Okay. I can kind of see that. Have you ever seen the Tom Waits interview that he like ripped off? No. There's a Tom Waits interview uh, it's with some ca- Australian talk show host and Heath Ledger was Australian and you got to watch it. He is just the Joker. It's like the weirdest thing. Like, ha ha ha. And that gravelly voice. And interesting. It's, yeah. It's super. But like it totally makes sense because when you see that interview, when you see Tom Waits, and you add equal parts Alex from this. just Oh, that's clear okay. as day. Cool. Nice. And then I also read about Heath Ledger having a shrine to the Joker in his house when he died. And I'm like, I don't I don't need to know this.
1: <laughs> I could have gone without that. Yeah, but, dude. Like, know,
0: that's cool. I don't give a fuck. Like, yeah. it feels so invasive for some reason.
1: I feel like last time I recall something about Heath Ledger when he died. Apparently, he was hanging out with one of the Olsons and or both. Ooh. They murdered him. <laughs> they might have murdered him. You know or what? he got a hold of some of their prescriptions because they're definitely on something. They're gelflings. Did you know that? I don't know what that is.
0: That's from the Dark Crystal. They're puppets. <laughs> they look like puppets. They're <laughs> gelflings. Also, I think they might have murdered him so that they could like try and solve his murder and bring back their like little <laughs> movie series where they were detectives. was it Mary-Kate and Ashley a detective You got movie? it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's dark. Also, their sister? Fine. Scarlet Witch. Have you seen all the times where Chris Evans has been caught checking her out on? like? That's <laughs> her sister?
1: Yeah. What?
0: She's she an Olsen. Yeah. Mind blown. Yeah. Uh, do you feel old as fuck? Because that's her younger sister. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. <laughs> I God. like it. I like it. Yeah, but Chris Evans, he definitely seems to have a thing for her because he's always looking at people all, like Paparazzi, always take a picture. I'm like, Captain America, we got good taste, son.
1: Yeah, uh, there you go. About them redheads, huh? Mm hmm. One of
0: the characters I really wanted to address, I love Aubrey Morris, who plays PR Deltoid. Mm, Yes. The truancy officer. Oh, right. right. God, that guy's cringy, man. He He is is so
1: good. That's definitely one of the parts of the film where I'm like, I don't feel comfortable watching this. Yeah, at all. I was just watching a rape scene and then this and I'm like, I'm hmm, maybe let's do without this over the other one okay for sure (laughs) but you know it it was weird right it's just malcolm in his underwear and then the whole hand on the thigh hand on the crotch and malcolm's kind of okay with it like he's like this is just how this guy is right yeah it's like a power play and
0: who would believe him anyway it's very there's a lot being (laughs) said there (laughs) And and he does it like the thigh touching is in a sensual way. The genital grabbing is in a violent way.
1: Yeah, you yeah. could you
0: could write a whole fucking dissertation just on that, <laughs> right? There's so much to unravel in this movie. Uh, one person I also wanted to address: David Prouse. a one Darth Vader oh that's right he's yeah. the guy who lifts up our uh, our writer friend I'm like oh wheelchair. yeah i
1: remember that super buff dude lifting up the guy in the wheelchair and you're like you mean darth vader i'm like
0: <laughs> so he plays julian and this is one of the most amazing stories i've ever heard so we we're obviously big fans of david prowse probably more for his rendition of one of the frankensteins from hammer films than for that little star warsy movie but whatever in this he allegedly Legend has it goes up to Stanley Kubrick and goes like, "Uh, hey, but I don't want to fuck up my back. So don't take too long. And Kubrick's like, a big pardon. I'm Stanley Kubrick. (laughs) And he goes, you aren't exactly known as one take Kubrick. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. So how many takes does it take? Six. That's awesome. Compared to Shelley Duvall with 150. That's awesome. dude. That's pretty cool. But also, did you see his gnarly ass wedgie in them short shorts? Dude. There was a lot of questions. I saw Darth Vader's butthole (laughs) and all I got was a stupid (laughs) T-shirt.
1: There's a lot of questions going on the second time around when they go, when he gets back to that house. Oh yeah. Okay. First of all, where's the wife? Okay. I find out later what happened to the wife. But secondly, did you getting completely destroyed and crippled turn you into somebody that prefers the other side? I, There's a certain degree so of sensuality many, there. So yeah. many questions. I'm like, why is he in that outfit? I guess that is who okay. wears short, shorts. <laughs> do, do, no, do, that's do, not do, shorts. Do. Those are Speedos.
0: Yeah. But I mean, have you seen the Ham hocks that Darth was <laughs> <laughs> smuggling in there? Yeah,
1: man. Dude. pretty gnar meaty cleave
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) i like it uh any other droogs or anybody who you think really deserves obviously you got so the the three droogs be george pete and dim dim steals the show oh
1: yeah absolutely it's got to be dim with his stuttering and everything Um, I
0: don't like you to do what you've done.
1: (laughs) Patrick McGee, definitely right. Dude, him. That's the guy right in the wheelchair. Yeah. Patrick McGee. Exactly. So that dude
0: chews the butt fucking scenery,
1: doesn't he? His face throughout the movie. It almost looks like he's taking a shit like scanners or something, right? He's going to pop someone's brain off. He's like looking up (laughs) and down aggressively. And then, yeah, it almost seems like he's having a
0: seizure. And when he hears Alex singing in the toilet and he's looking at the door, that's the exact same shot that he that Kubrick would use years later when Jack is trying to get in at Wendy oh, in The Shining. Oh
1: my god, I didn't even think about that. Oh yeah, it's fucking great. fucking crazy.
0: It, it's cool because I don't I don't take that as like him being necessarily self-referential or like self-aggrandizing or like a one-trick pony either. I think that's just like kind of like, I don't know, it's something kind of beautiful about the way that it kind of overlaps.
1: Yeah, I can see that. Any
0: other points that we want to talk about before we get into...
1: the What was the Chiefs guy's name? I forget his name, but I feel like I told you... I told you the funniest line that I remember in the film, at least from him. Yeah,
0: it's Michael Bates was the actor.
1: Yeah, so my favorite thing from the chief from the movie is, I feel like his best line, shut your filthy hole, you scum. <laughs> it's when he's talking and he's initially giving Alex a yep. tour of the prison and he's like, stay behind the fucking line and, you know, tell him your name and then you address me as sir. And then Alex starts saying something. He's yep. like, shut your filthy... And it's funny how he he yells everything and And it's just like way over the top i love when he checks alex in at the facility
0: and the guy's like look at him like you need to calm the fuck down
1: (laughs) right yeah at the doctor when they're trying to like cure him him, yeah Yeah, absolutely
0: fun trivia there so when he's registering alex in with them if you look at the directory behind them there's actually a sign that points to the cinema So like I just thought that was cool because if (laughs) either they found a hospital that already had that or they had to put that in, but it was just a great attention to detail. But yeah, basically, like I said, we're not really going to go through everything the same way that we used to. This is going to be more just talking about the stuff that like kind of sticks in your mind, right? Exactly, and I think kind of the context we want to do is like, what are you never going to forget from this movie? What would you like to forget from this movie? One thing that I thought was super cool, if you look in the uh, record shop, you'll see that Alex is standing right in front of the soundtrack for 2001 A Space Odyssey. Mm,
1: I did notice that. Super cool. Yeah, that's fun. It's cool because I feel like it's just like a little bit of a humble brag. Yeah, right. (laughs) Sorry about it. Just kind of recreated
0: a generation and, oh yeah, I faked the moon landing, sucked my
1: dick. Hey, how about this little film right here? I mean, maybe you heard of it. I don't know. I mean, whatever.
0: Just melted your (laughs) butt fucking mind.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. I think for me, honestly... It's probably the most iconic thing I can remember. And it's just, it's sad because it's from the poster, but it's him in the milk. It's the very beginning of the film and it's him smiling with yeah. a glass of milk. And you're like, I have no idea what the fuck I'm in for. Yeah, dude, it,
0: it, it <laughs> drops you in the deep end for sure. And i the say like the book does that too, but like the mastery of that NADSAT slang, it just feels so normal. You don't even question it. Yep. And the movie does such a killer job of like everything is fucking weird. Yep. You have naked mannequin women for tables and milk spouts. You have a bunch of old women who have like wigs that are brightly colored. There's actually even in the deleted scenes. Why is his mom so old? She's kind of depicted um, M&P are depicted as kind
1: of being older in the book. Oh, too. OK, because I mean, I feel like the dad seems age appropriate. The mom, I don't know, man. I don't. Maybe it was just the way I expected her to yeah. look compared well, to what that's how she was actually portrayed.
0: A frustrating thing because in the book he's fifteen to seventeen, In the movie he's older. But in the book, everybody who's over thirty is the same age to him, basically.
1: Oh, he, you he, know what? That makes sense. It's like
0: a, a funny joke where he's like, "Oh, you know, he." Because when the other guy moves right. into the as, house,
1: as one is as a teenager, yep. you're just like, "Oh, you're fucking old." you
0: know when the other guy basically takes his place as their kid he's like basically he like what pisses him off most is like you're almost as old as them stop Ah. acting like they're your parents (laughs) you fuck wit he's so
1: good yeah okay
0: have you ever noticed stanley kubrick's use of the seven diamonds i don't even know what that is okay so quote a rainbow spans a continuous spectrum of colors said i you know newton in 1672 giving you five main colors and if you include orange and indigo it gives you seven Colors. And so that's the seven prisms being the seven diamonds. So if you look in this film, when they actually go uh, to the Duke of York pub, if you look behind them, there are seven diamonds in the wood filigree. If you're watching The Shining and you have Jack, there's a tapestry behind him where there's seven diamonds. If you look at Full Metal Jacket, there is a sign behind him, seven diamonds. If you look in 2001 A Space Odyssey, again, Seven that's diamonds. That's crazy. I had never noticed it when I was researching this one. It came up, but not when we did The Shining, which was very weird to me that I hadn't seen that.
1: Huh. So That is really, that's strange. So what's the significance be- behind the diamonds?
0: It's a reference to basically all of color because that is what a rainbow is, is the seven prism and a prism being the shape of a diamond in this scenario. Ooh, interesting. Right? So basically he's giving you a reference to all that your eyes can perceive in just some geometric shapes. But this is also a guy who used to do computational mathematics just for fun. <laughs> so, like, yeah. I've,
1: I read somewhere that he had an IQ of 200. 260,000, maybe. Dude, but I mean, in reference to like Isaac Newton and a few other like notable ca- like characters with the IQ of, you know, are relatively the same. So, I mean, this guy was fucking super smart
0: what well, you want to talk about how super smart he is he got that girl who does the titty dance to show <laughs> off the panties for
1: a long time you want to talk about that no, <laughs> is definitely using the old noodle for some diabolical shit right there
0: and he like she has that fucking Stockholm and she, syndrome
1: she ended up being like yeah you know what i wanted to do it for him yeah. i was like at some point this is maybe a little creepy and then at the end of the day she was just like I mean, I can take these panties off if you'd like. So for those of you <laughs> who don't
0: know, there's the exhibition where Alex had licks the guy's shoes and looks at the girl in her titties and she's, he's like, oh, well... She asked Kubrick what color panty she should wear. So he reportedly sent her back to the department store multiple times to buy multiple pairs to model them multiple times in front of him for an extended period. And she even defended him being like, well, no, he's just a perfectionist. It's like, sweetheart, no. (laughs) He's a bad man.
1: Yeah. I wonder how many other guys are claiming they're just perfectionists also. (laughs) Just gotta see.
0: Spending 23 years in jail, some of them.
1: Did you notice... That when
0: Alex is being arrested by our friends, Dim, and I believe it's Georgie, their agent number is 665 and 667. He's in the middle.
1: The number of the beast. Oh, what's that band? What? (laughs) How (laughs) dare you? I don't know about you, but when they were holding his breath underwater, I held my breath and I'm like, I would have died. (laughs) Uh, I'm pretty sure I would have died. I wonder if he had a snorkel or anything under there, but yeah it was uh i think i think i think they did have like an underwater breathing apparatus or something and you know where he just like was able to throw it on because dude honest honestly anytime there's water involved yeah i hold my breath for sure i'm like no you know what none of this means anything to me yeah right these are people with aliens and fucking all kinds of shit and I don't believe any of that. But as soon as it comes to somebody de- taking a deep dive or something, I'm holding my <gasps> breath with him and I'm like, nope, fake. Yep.
0: That's what I couldn't stand about that. That mission <laughs> impossible movie where, or oh, Tom Cruise holds his breath. I was like, fuck you. Fuck your Thetans. Fuck Z. I just went, no. I just
1: went full on Donnie. I'm like wrong, wrong, wrong. fake news. fake. <laughs> oh
0: God. So apparently this is a story that Gene Kelly once ran into Malcolm McDowell at a party. And basically snubbed him in disgust over his use of singing in the rain.
1: I mean, you can imagine being such a cheerful song. Oh, yeah. That's the great, beautiful
0: juxtaposition,
1: right? I understand that. But when you create this song and you're just like, you know what? This feels like an amazing tune to cheer up somebody's day. And then it has something like this related to it. That'd be like, if I may, if you're Geppetto. You make a little
0: Pinocchio, right? You're like, oh, it's my, my pride and joy. It's my little Pinocchio. And then you find out somebody made
1: shit fetish porn with him. And you're <laughs> like, what
0: the fuck? What did you do to my puppy, you I
1: sick was, prick? I had no idea where this was going. But <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, Pinocchio and shit covered porn. Woo, Why not? Absolutely. Let's do it. I mean, there's his nose is definitely going somewhere. Yeah. That is, <laughs> you ain't lying. <laughs> Ayo. So apparently Kubrick
0: spent 10 grand on the rights to it. And apparently, he got the rights within a matter of hours because he was so into this idea. He immediately is like, I need the rights to the song. It's mine now. And <laughs> could you imagine? Gene Kelly's like, You did what with who? Huh?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, because now if you think about it, Gene Kelly in hindsight is like, Nah, you know what? Give me more. Yeah. <laughs> 10 grand to ruin my
0: life. Nope. Not worth it. <laughs> I thought it was super cute that in the book, Alex refers to swastikas as those crooked crosses little kids at school like to draw. Oh, God. God. I was like, oh, but that's one of the things that's amazing in both the book and the movie is the depiction of culture having basically devolved to the point where from our culture to rape is crazy. From the way it's depicted in the movie, and to that, like that, almost becomes like a statement of society more so than the character. Yeah, not saying it's justified; it's cringy and it's meant to make you feel cringy. You are not supposed to like Alex, but it's very interesting the way that's presented.
1: Well, it's what's what's so crazy and, and memorable in my mind is how they almost are likening the rape to like childlike behavior. Right? It almost seems like they're almost there is predation to what they're doing but at the same time they almost seem like they're oblivious to it yeah right they're like well i don't know am i doing something bad right it's like a kid that just does something bad and then you're like no that's wrong and they're like huh i have no idea
0: yeah basically that's very much the way it's implied in the book as well where he doesn't really understand
1: the ramifications If there's no rules set in place for what's right and wrong how how am i to know that this is wrong yeah, and
0: the the girls in the record shop in the book are only ten years old, and he's fifteen, and he fucked. rapes them. It's not consenting. Super fucked. It's super dark. Yeah, and so that's one of the things that it's it's awful. But then again, like when you hear Burgess talk about the Redeemer, because this is the big difference that we're going to get into. The book in America is this movie. It ends the same way. When it was re- the original manuscript and the version that was released elsewhere has an extra chapter where everything changes. It changes the entire point and purpose of the book. You had even texted me at the end of the movie being like, that's the end. Like, is he dead? Like, do you have a seizure? Well,
1: it's so strange, right? In the mm-hmm. end, I mean, was I off base when I no, no, not at all. asking you, okay, so all the cameras and all the media and everybody's like, oh my God, this is, he's a local hero or this or that. Yep. And then we're going to give him all the press. Right. And then his eyes roll in the back of his head. And then there's just a a scene of him in like a pile of cocaine fucking a girl. Yep. With people watching. You're like, um.
0: Which is in the book. Is
1: this in his brain? Yep. Like what he's imagining happened or is this what's actually happening? So
0: that's a manifestation of the fact that his brain is back.
1: And if you just. But if you were to look at a couple scenes prior to that, you would know that this is the fact when you have the psychiatrist asking him all of these things and he's like, smash up the eggs. Fuck him. Smash him in the face. He would not be saying that if his brain was still like, okay, violence is bad. But that is in theory.
0: This is in the idea of him doing it, which takes it to a completely different step. Okay. And so this is really important because in the book, it's not the act of the therapy that causes him to stop being a hoodlum. It's growing the fuck up. I thought it was Ludwig van. Yeah. (laughs) So don't play the nine. (laughs) Which gets into the question of, I just realized that the Beatles number nine might even have some reference oh, to this shit. as well. Oh. Um, but you know, in it, basically, like it's implied, you have the minister of the in- interior slash inferior is the joke in the book, basically says, I'm going to give you a cush job. You're going to like basically curate music for the state. You're going to be paid very well. Alex goes about his merry way, gets three new droogs. He's back at the crowva Milk Bar, and he's just fucking over it. He has a picture from a newspaper of a baby. He wants to be a dad and just like grow the fuck up and move on. And that's what this is about. Like, this is about overcoming the impetuousness of youth. And it's, there's so much more oh, to so it. So
1: it's just essentially growing up. Yep. But growing
0: up of your own accord, not because somebody makes you grow up. Right. Right. Which is super well, interesting. I as,
1: mean, it's interesting because it shows how the reform isn't something that always works. And right. It's and it's brutal
0: in its own right, too. Exactly, right.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's something that you have to want to change. Yeah. Not that something that you are being forced upon.
0: Exactly. There's a question as to the violence, because remember, they depict Alex as a victim after he's gone through this therapy and so it kind of goes that but that's something i really wanted to address you know where i'm at in life i'm about to be a a father a second time i'm about to have my first son and alex specifically refers to this like vision in his mind of his son being in the next room so as i'm reading this like man this is so much different than when i was a kid and it was like kind of almost a coming of age to where i was like wow like i i get this in a completely different way
1: right yeah I mean it's always interesting to think about and you know I feel like everybody kind of does like a little bit of self-reflection as far as like the kind of shittier stages of life right where you're just like yeah hey, you know what I probably wasn't a very good person at this time in my life or at yeah. this age of my life and then you're just like God, I've really come a long ways. Yeah. Right. And that's not that's not something that society can really force upon you. That's something that you need to do for yourself.
0: We were just talking to your brother and he was talking about like being a naive right wing kid and talking about himself being a, quote, dumb shit fuck. And then what, two years later, he's like, nah, but he didn't think he was being evil at the time. It was just different. And then you realize like how narrow-minded or how so many things you say have these negative repercussions. You
1: almost just look at the big picture, right? Instead of what's just in front of you. Yeah, And that's what's so hard to kind of explain to kids growing up. It's such a narrow focus, right? It's literally like okay, I got this and I'm focused on this. What does like, Tina I don't think
0: of me? Does <laughs> Tina like me? I need Tina yeah, you're to like not, me.
1: You're not thinking of, okay, well, this is going to lead to this because this is going to lead to this, this is going to lead to this. There's nothing about that at yeah.
0: all. You, you want to be like, sweetheart, you don't care what Tina thinks. She's a dumb asshole. You right. care about your reputation, like those things. You care about being a good moral person. I just want to try and get my
1: dick wet. Yeah. Honestly, dude, them
0: hormones is legit. (laughs) Uh, I kind of wanted to end us on a couple of higher notes that are a little bit more silly, (laughs) if I may, because I knew I was going to get a little off the rails. Well, I mean,
1: honestly, this movie though, (laughs) is dark.
0: It's very dark. One of the gross things. So when PR deltoid spits in Alex's face, dude, it's it doesn't look like they're CGI. That's no, it's spit. That's actually spit. (laughs) But it's not his spit in the movie. It's Steven Burkoff doing the spitting from off screen because Aubrey Morris had spit so many times in this kid's face, he could not produce more spit. Sounds like a porn. Ew. <laughs> uh, Malcolm McDowell <laughs> broke a rib during the demonstration scene, and that's actually the take that's used. But because he didn't get it treated, he developed a blood clot. Oh, Jesus. Suffering for your art. And here's the piece de resistance what I, as a vegan, found to be the funniest fucking thing in the world. All of Alex's worldly possessions are sold. And why are they sold? For victim's relief. For the old lady who he kills in the book, very accidentally, in this with a cock-shaped statue. (laughs) And you're sitting there thinking, but she's dead. Where does the money go? To pay for a the caretaker cats. for to her the cats. cats. Oh, that's so fucking good. <laughs> oh my
1: God. How did I not? Oh, oh I love that it. That is so good. In the Dude, book,
0: he's basically like, you're fucking with me right now. Where's my stuff? They're
1: there like, are a lot of cats. Yeah, Like they mention. oh, she's like has a lot of cats and it's like this health spa, blah, blah, blah. And then it shows her like going and working out. And then you're like one, Let's two, three, four, four five, six. Physical, Dude, that's like 20 physical. cats. Jesus Christ. I see carpet and everything smells like cat piss.
0: No time for the old in-out, love. I'm just here to <laughs> read the meter. Yeah. That's a Clockwork Orange, man. Like, this is this is a fucking classic. I've ever seen a classic. It's great. It's, it's
1: tenuously horror, though, I have
0: to admit. It's psychological horror, if anything.
1: Definitely something that I feel like everybody needs to see at least once. This is a rite of passage movie for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I actually really like
0: when he gets hit in the face with the milk. I, I, I forgot to mention that earlier. In the book, Dim hits him in the face with the chain. But in the movie, in the movie, it's, it's, a, the it's, milk bottle, it's a milk bottle, which ties it back to the beginning. And then, yeah,
1: I, I just think that imagery is super great.
0: Do you think that this beats what's our current classic champion?
1: For this, I don't even have to know what the current classic champion is. I would say yes.
0: Do you think that it's horror enough to dethrone it?
1: <sighs> I feel like just on material alone, it has oh, enough. Oh, it's merit. the flies.
0: The current rating.
1: So that's tough. Because as far as body horror, like, I mean, it's Cronenberg and then it's psychological horror. And there's obviously both have their merits. And you can obviously say between one or the other, what's worse, rape or body horror? And you're like, well, I mean, from like a moral standpoint, I'm clearly going to say rape is worse. But, you know, it's that that is really tough.
0: It is. And I think that without people like Kubrick, I don't think you have the same Cronenberg that you have. But I'm personally going to say that I think the fly is more of a horror, but that's not I, 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 I'm
1: going to give it a very closely contested second. I'll say the fly beats it as well. Awesome.
0: I appreciate you making that concession for me. Your best friend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I
0: guess. Ah, shucks. I guess so. Well, Brian, I think it's time to be wrapping this up. I'd like to plug our Patreon patrons. For those of you who have tuned in, we're doing a new project where we're, like I said, we're cutting out some of the f- like
1: just nonsense. We're, we're I don't want to recursion- call it fluff, but. It might be fluff. The regurgitation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I
0: don't want it. I don't want us to be reciting what happens in a movie. If we're talking about parts of the movie, yeah, it should you, be for a purpose. Right. And
1: and we're also just hitting the the focal points yep. that you're more than likely going to understand. Yep. It's not something where these little hindrances here and there of this minor part of a film that you're not really going to give a fuck about.
0: Yep. And on the side, we have slashers on slash, which is just if you want the nonsense and the the ramshackle schlammadoos just us talking about whatever and you can vote and be a part of it if you've rated subscribed liked done anything we super appreciate it if you ever like want to screen cap your review and send it to us I will be happy to read it on the air I'll read it in whatever accent you decide I'll read it backwards <laughs> if it makes you so happy <laughs> nothing would tickle my pinker stinker and make wow. me thinker <laughs> while I'm giving Brian a big old winker yeah buddy all right now my sign off is a reference to the shining. With the all work and no power play, instead of all work and no play. Do you think for this year we should do something that makes it reference Clockwork Orange? I mean, we could, because it is another Kubrick film.
1: Maybe I should change mine. I think I'm going to change mine up. Uh, what are you gonna do? There's no time for the old
0: in out. Have a good night. That was a real kick. Good for laughs and slashings of the old ultraviolence instead of lashings, because like the name of our show, is Slashers. There you go. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. I genuinely appreciate it. Mm -hmm. I know that some of you probably looked at the runtime and were like, "Uh uh-oh, there must have been some huge error or mishap. Why is this episode so much shorter? But we really appreciate you working with us. I know that change is always weird. But for literally over a year now, I have just hated doing the slay-by play and going through each and every bit of minutiae in a movie. It just seems so redundant to me when we could be having better talking points. And I think this episode flowed so much better. Please, if you disagree or agree or whatever, let me know. You can reach us at slasherspot at gmail.com or any, I mean, you know, if you're listening to the Hidden Tracks, you certainly know how to reach us. This week's Hidden Track is from version two. Now I owe my good pal Joe Drummer a bit of an apology. He previously sent over this song last year. The big problem was it's called Childish and I knew in my heart of hearts we were going to be doing A Clockwork Orange and I felt that this song fit But fucking perfectly. So here it is. Better late than never. Now, tentatively, they have a show. April 23rd. Burn, burn, burn. Crowflower. Version 2. At the Sand Trap in Ogden, Utah. I sincerely hope that's still happening. Because the coronavirus is scary. You can find Version 2 basically everywhere. On Facebook. Version TWO Band. On Bandcamp it's version2.bandcamp.com. You can find them on Spotify. Basically wherever. So, I mean, if you use your brain... You can find it. And now everybody's allowed to listen to them except for Matt Hardy. Before he was broken, Matt Hardy. You have to go back a long time for some Matt facts with the Mattitude Era. Version 1. That's a joke that two people got. Uh, not one version 1 person got, though. <laughs> sorry. Anyway, version 2.
1: With their some childish.
2: No one seems to care 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 You're speaking out of tone All this brings you have burned now we all have now to pay it in my ears will remind me of the years I have nothing left to say Why can't we just admit there's some day Or should have just shut up and say yes, yeah. on, yes I've got a question for the world to try Have I will we for this misery Another one's life took you someday Then you will finally see that no one not stay No one seems to care. 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 care.